Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. And I'm excited to have in the studio a Rock and Roll Hall of Famer, Duff McKagan, who has a really cool, really surprising, really beautiful new solo album out called Tenderness. And I'm anxious to talk about that and a whole lot of other stuff. And first of all, I got to say, Duff, we first met, I think, in 2006. And I wish I could say the same, but you do not seem to have aged a day since then. Is it the martial arts? What are you doing, man? I feel like I've aged 50 (laughs) years since then. Well, thank you. Yeah, martial arts, a lot of sex, I guess, you know, (laughs) to be quite honest with you. And I have daughters that keep me young, you know. I think that having kids growing in their teenage years and then going through now, 18 and 21, it keeps you going. And playing rock and roll, you know, I I think the secret now to like all of us, we're not our dads. Like I'm not my dad's 55 for sure. Yeah, yeah. You know, we got better water and all that, whatever. But uh, there's also the stones. It comes down to the stones. They keep you young, man. They're out there doing it. A mix going to be better and, and all of that. But I still feel like a kid when I see the stones out touring. I'm like, I better get started. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. You know, and we could get to that, but I mean, in many ways, it feels like your day job, Guns N' Roses, it it feels like you guys are taking a little bit of that, not taking away from them, but taking up some of that Stone's mantle of just being like a legendary band who's now intact again and just reliably playing and kicking ass every night. It's it's an interesting thing to watch. It does feel like a new generation Stone's a little bit to me. Wow. In his current incarnation, if you know what I mean. Well, the thing about guns and always since the inception to now, like this thing we just did, it's not a bullshit band. You know, like we take everything, rehearsals, we're the hardest, always been the hardest rehearsing band. And when we go out on stage and play, it's real. Like the daggers come out, you know, and uh, there's a bar fight. And (laughs) And it's still that way. It's never a phoning something in and, and somebody you know told me they came to one of our shows and man you know i thought you guys were just gonna phone it in but you played three and a half hours and i said you know we wouldn't know how to phone it in mm. so um if that's a result of going up to the stones or whatever i don't know but that's just the way our band is and i'm honored that you say we're taking up some mantle of some greatness but we're just doing what we do so two and a half years on the road <laughs> And then people were asking about writing a book, which would be reasonable because you have some great books that you've done, some really honest books that I really recommend. Uh, It's so easy. The first book is a great rock and roll memoir and actually really inspiring when it gets to the part of you kind of rebuilding yourself, rebuilding your life from scratch. And we can talk about that later. But so I understand why people were like, hey, write a book about this. Two and a half years, Guns N' Roses back after all this time. But basically, you kind of made this album instead, it seems like. I was not going to write a book. I mean, (laughs) we didn't do any press for the tour. Oh, I know, man. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. And I thought it was it was great because man, there's so many little pieces of mystique left anymore. And that's was one of the great things about Prince, you know, like that mystique factor I always loved and and there was a mystique factor to our band back in the day being when there wasn't internet and cell phones and all of that. But um I wasn't going to write a book on the inside machinations of Guns N' Roses. That'd be the last thing. That's a little tacky to do. Okay, we got back together. Let me write a book on the inside. It was more me as a calmness, observing what was going on around me, not in the band, but as we prepared for the tour. And like everybody else, this is December of 2015, January of 2016, February, March, April. I got myself stuck on the cable news, all of them. I read a lot of history. I read way too much history. Since I've gotten sober, my wife will attest I've read nearly a thousand 
history books. Wow. I'm just infatuated. So I'll go from periods and conflicts and I'll read every side of the conflict or the period. I'll go to Roman history. I'll go to Civil War history. I'll bounce around. Mountaineering history, political history. During this tour, I read um, J.D. Vance's Hillbilly Elegy, Yeah, if you've read that book. Yeah. I liked it a lot. It's controversial for some people, but yeah. I thought it was really interesting for sure. Well, I could identify myself with the, especially like the, they're talking about, you know, the drug addiction. I am one of those. So I think everybody identifies with a book to however they came up or whatever. And um, I read The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich during this tour. I read Educated. I read The Center Cannot Hold by Ellen Sachs about mm-hmm. a schizophrenic woman who's the head of school of psychology at USC. She didn't tell anybody she was schizophrenic until she was in her 50s. And she dealt with this buildings talking to her and thinking she killed a million people. And she humanized, you know, what I see on the street, like some screaming at themselves or... She really humanized this thing. and uh, But not only the books I read, it was the things I was seeing in my hometown of Seattle. Homelessness is, is a very visible, visible thing. You probably know about it, you know, yeah. all the way out here. You know about Seattle's homelessness. and But it's not just Seattle. It's Albuquerque and it's Montgomery. It's Los Angeles. It's San Francisco. It's New York. It's Mexico City. It's London. It's, you know, you travel and it, you see it everywhere. And uh, so I just was writing beginnings of chapters about these things, about this divide they were talking about, that once I stopped watching the news, because I did, I just made this, I'm going to stop watching it. And I was following all these people on Twitter that I was seeing on the news, and so my Twitter was like this chaotic ramblings, and you can get really stuck into it. And I just kind of muted all that and just went back to my sports guys I follow on Twitter (laughs) just to get the Mariners scores and the Seahawks, you know. And I'm a nerd. I'm a history nerd. And I I was going out and visiting all these places I do on our days off. Everything from Little Bighorn to the World War I Museum to getting in an airboat with a guy to look at alligators in the Louisiana swamps to, oh, they eat hot dogs, alligators. Okay. And Mon- Monticello. And, and which, not to interrupt you, but I imagine like the last Guns N' Roses tours many years before, this is not what you were doing on your days off. No, but I have been doing this Velvet and, Revolver tours, yeah. loaded tours. I went back to college, and uh, went to college in my 30s. So since I've been sober, it's been some time now. No, old Guns N' Roses tours. <laughs> no, it was, uh, no, it was different. <laughs> but yeah, sorry, go ahead. I knew how to find a drug dealer. Right. I was right. really you, good at that. In, in many lands, right. Yeah. Many lands. <laughs> I had, in many lands, my man. I could say uh, cocaine and heroin in a lot of different languages. Anyhow, so I, I'm out, I'm remembering everything I'm, I was seeing on the cable news, and, I, and I'm not dumb, I'm not just turned a deaf ear to what's going on. But I read so much history, I know, like, to think of a current administration as the be-all, end-all of... This too shall pass, right? We've had things like this. So I can't think in like terms of like this will, whatever, if you like this or don't like this, right? It will change. We're going to be pissed about something else in two years. Mm. I guarantee you. I guarantee you, you know? And I'm kind of centered more on how much more we had in common with each other, not just in America, but around the world. And I would go to, I did a Normandy Beach tour with a guide and I went to Auschwitz and I went to Anne Frank house and I went to play the town in Poland where 
three weeks earlier, they had a gathering of 100,000 or something neo-Nazis. Some very interesting times we're in right yeah. now. And I'm not pointing fingers at anybody on the record or in my writings in this book. I was just going to observe this and sort of see what's the solution. Is there a solution? And my solution was most people aren't neo-Nazis and most people are not like in a bubble or like nobody identifies I'm a lefty or I'm an extreme right. People come to our shows and we don't ask who you vote for. If I'm in any bubble at all, it's this. We played to nearly five million people in, in that two and a half years. It's these people rocking out and they're in this thing together. And, you know, I saw we played Muslim countries where women were fully covered with the devil horns up, rocking, just like the guy in Little Rock, Arkansas. That's wild. Just like the guy in Tel Aviv. Yeah. And or wherever else, you know, we played. And um, I saw that a really immensely powerful unification. Yeah. Through rock and roll, but also through traveling and seeing all these nerdy things that I see when I go out and I, I do it all. When my wife comes out and then she's got like a checklist of 10 things we're going to do that day, we can get to literally two of them. But right. So uh, I think the record, uh, the book, which turned into a record, is an idea of hope and healing. I mean, there's some dark shit in there. There's Parkland, which is more of a funeral dirge. I had a senior in high school at that time, and there had been other school shootings. And growing up fearing that that would happen at your kid's school is not too fucking cool, man. No, no, it's not. Uh, Any way you look at it, it's not a comment on the Second Amendment. It's just not fucking cool. Yeah. And I don't offer a solution in that song. It's paying respect, and it's really like a funeral dirge. But it goes into a song called Don't Look Behind You, which is, again, a song of hope, and this too shall pass, and don't hold on to the things that happened. Like, together, we can move through this. And that's the one that reunites the horns from the Use Your Illusion tour, I think. Yeah, and pre-appetite from the, our first DP, my brother, the Suicide Horn section. Nice, nice. Correct. Um, it's uh, as far as the sound of the record you hinted at this earlier in a song that's also on this record right. A Wasted Heart yeah. from 2009 is kind of that sound and you mentioned a lot of influences I mean we were talking about the Stones it certainly is in that kind of like Wild Horses kind of vein this whole record I would say just like Stones ballads but also come from a lot of other places as well where does that the kind of like acoustic country vibey thing for you where does it come from for you right so I would be lying if I said I had country background because I don't and I wouldn't want to step into that world now because it wouldn't be genuine my country background if any is Johnny Cash of course yeah but it was also like Johnny Thunder's acoustic like Que Sera Sera Right. Mark Lanigan's first two records, Winding Sheets and Whiskey for the Holy Ghost. I have this demo of Greg Dooley and the Twilight Singers. It's this broken-hearted version of Deepest Shade, a song he wrote. And it's a four-track demo. And I played it for Shooter. And I, I'm like, I want the record to sound like, like have this heartbroken sound. Yeah. Not copy it, but just that feeling. And the we, vibe, yeah. The vibe. And so Shooter came in to produce the record. He's a guy I've known since 2001. He had this great career take off in about 2004. But he does all kinds of different... He produced Brandy's Carlisle's record. Yeah. And won a Grammy for it, yeah. as a matter of fact. And so I couldn't listen to Brandy's record. I know her. She's from Seattle. I've jammed with her. She's fucking amazing. And I know this. So I'm like, I can't listen to her record while I'm doing a record with Shooter because I'm going to compare myself to her. Right. Inevitably, and lose 
badly. So you don't want to do that. And I, so I had to wait till the very end. We mixed our last song. I went straight home. I bought her record on iTunes and listened to the whole thing through headphones. But um, being up at Shooter's house, I had an acoustic guitar, how I wrote the songs. He had a piano. And we worked on arrangements for the songs and talked about instrumentation. And we were referencing ELO and Paul McCartney, like this 80s record he had that my daughter turned me on to that I wasn't aware of. And all kinds of strange things. He suggested we use his band. Yeah. Let's try a couple tracks with my band because I think they'd really get the vibe. First two songs we cut was uh, Last September. Yeah. And it's not too late. Yeah. And his band, Jamie Douglas, the drummer, I mean, his sense of scarcity in rhythm is something to behold. Taught me a lot about the basic tracks. I played acoustic guitar and sang a scratch vocal. So I was in a separate room with a window, right. not unlike the studio. And the band was out in the main room. And Shooter would conduct the band. He would play while we were doing it, but he would talk to them about their parts. And it was like a real producer yeah. thing. Right. Like a Phil Spector sort of, without the guns and the <laughs> cocaine or whatever was right. going on there. And he brought the best out of everybody. And that guy, I could have been paired up with a better guy. But if there is, is country sound to the record, it's because of his band and Aubrey Richmond's fiddle playing and John's pedal steel playing and his guitar playing with Jesse Dayton come in. Jonathan Wilson I heard this song called 49 Hair Flips. Oh, yeah, he's awesome, yeah. It was, I was listening to Steve Jones' show. I was driving. It was rainy out, and I heard this 49 Hair Flips song, and I texted Jonesy. He was taking a break, and I'm like, Who, who's that guy? And I, I called Shooter, and I'm like, do you know Jonathan Wilson? He goes, yeah, he, I, he's on sessions of mine all the time. He's out with Roger Waters right now. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. So we sent him some tracks. He was like in Africa. And the stuff he played on here, it was in his hotel room. Some of it you can hear his air conditioning kick on <laughs> on the tracks, but it kind of added to the yeah to the track. We got the suicide horn section in there, my brother. We got the Waters, the singing group, the Waters, the backup singers, yeah, yeah, yeah who yeah. sang yeah. on Heaven's Door for Guns back in the day, and they are astounding. Yeah, they sound great on that. We wanted the, the music to stay sparse and uh, moody, so that the lyric. And the melodies of the lyrics could really be kind of take the forefront of the tunes. Wanted to pause for just a minute and talk about The Jump, a brand new original podcast from MailChimp. It's hosted by Shirley Manson of Garbage, and she sits down with seven of the most influential musicians of the past couple decades, and it's a good list. Nico Case, Esperanza Spaulding, Big Boy, Dave One from Chromio, Perfume Genius, Courtney Love, and Karen O. And they kind of zero in on a single song, one that represents their artistic moment of truth. And they look at the impact that, that song had on their careers and lives. Kind of a cool, focused concept for a podcast. And Shirley's always one of the best interviews in rock. I'm sure she's one of the best interviewers as well. And new episodes start June 24th. You can listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts on Apple, Spotify. Check it out now. Your voice is really out front. And, it, you know, you've obviously been recording your own stuff and singing lead for quite a long time, but it's a lot of exposure for someone who's not primarily known as a singer. Like, what is your own degree of comfort? And I think it works really well, but what's your own degree of comfort with, like, your voice, being a singer, especially finding a slightly different style in this one? Like, how does that all work for you? Yeah. Well, I think if you're me, you just you can't really care. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I've never pronounced to be Pavarotti. Being out on the, this tour with Axel... Watching him, he is a master. The guy is a pure master in how he preps for a show, the hour and a half of vocal warm-ups, 
and how he breathes when we like play coma, you know, like these long so we he can't there's no breath, it's circular breathing and his warm downs. Like I'm already in a bed reading a book, man, and <laughs> he's warming down for an hour and a half after till like three in the morning, you know? Jesus. You know, I sing a lot on Guns on our set. I sing a lot of falsetto, a lot of, do a lot of singing. What stuff do you sing? Because it's hard, you know, it's all blend. So what stuff do you sing falsetto on? Oh, a lot. November Rain. That's interesting. See, uh, I have to go back and pick that out. Jungle. A lot of appetite stuff. That's all those backing vocals are, you know, falsetto. That's wild. I don't know how, I There's don't know no how I never There's no full voice, really. Like, it's, a, it's so easy. I sing a, like a duet. Kind right. Of, not a lot of full voice singing on any of that stuff. But, you know, I've learned over the years, even as a backup singer, how to pull back. Yeah. Like, we're not a bar band. Don't get right up on the microphone and try to sing as loud as the lead singer. Mm. Blind in. With Loaded, I learned a lot about being a lead singer. Yeah. But that's a lot of, you know, a lot of it's like screaming. But this time, you know, with Shooter and these songs, I when I write songs on a, I mean, I've always written songs on acoustic guitar or guitar. It's so easy. I learned to open E tuning and wrote It's So Easy in about three minutes. Mm. You know, you learn a new tuning. You, you write nine songs in the next 45 minutes, right? Right. And I'll usually, like, It's So Easy, but that song, you know, I see your sister. I, I sing in a lower voice, right? And it's not until you got to be sing around Axel or somebody like that that you have to really like, okay, I'm singing falsetto now. I'm doing this or that or the other. But this record, to get back to this... Shooter wanted the voice to be exposed. We, I sang through an SM7, which is not like some grandiose tubed vocal mic. It's just a mic that you might use on a kick drum. Yeah. He had this kind of, he was fascinated by this Beatles chain of preamps and compressors and stuff, but really old school. Yeah. Kind of. So it's, there's not a lot of give. You know, you can't sing out of tune. Right. <laughs> There's no uh, whatever they use nowadays. Out of tune, melodic stuff. Yeah. yeah. When I doubled, like vocals, like on Chip Away, this, it's a double vocal, not a harmony. It's a pure double. But I, like, on purpose, sang kind of uh, off of each other. Yeah. So it gives it a more real. I know how to make stuff sound real, and at least well, I feel like what I hear is like a knowledge of how much sort of like attitude. And confidence and sort of a, just a, a punk rock feeling, even though this is a hardly a punk rock record, can I really... I think it is kind of a punk rock record, though. Yeah. I mean, punk rock was always about three chords and the truth. And um, I really believe that this serves all of those lyrically stripped down, but kind of cutting. Sure. I can see that. You know, doing an unexpected thing. is it, Me is like the term artist is overused, but as a long-time musician and writer of songs and stuff, I always want to push myself. Yeah. And um, Loaded was a band that was, you know, we fought. We were not a popular active rock band, and we didn't strive to be that. We wanted to be our own thing and kind of go against what was going on. And this record kind of does the same thing. It serves that same purpose in me as an artist. It's not what somebody would expect. Yeah. I'm in a band right now that's, we are playing the biggest rock songs in the biggest places and it's, I love it. That's what I'm meant to do. That was what I was born to do. I was born to, to play in Guns N' Roses. That mm. is, and I feel that. But there's other sides sure. that make up that band. You know, that really do make up that band. I wanted to ask about Last September, which you mentioned. Uh, it is kind of like a Me Too song. 
Definitely inspired yeah, yeah. by stories I heard from yeah. me too, yeah. I mean, someone's going to ask you, it might as well be the guy who first brings it up. As a member of Guns N' Roses, it's obviously like a fraught thing in some ways because there's a, a certain reputation around the band. There's also just like some lyrics. Like, I mean, you know, it's so easy itself. There's obviously lyrics on there. I think you could argue that it's describing consensual <laughs> acts, but it's perhaps yeah. not the most respectful lyrics in the world. So does this sort of cognitive dissonance, did that ring anything for you? Did you have any moments of discomfort? Or how do you square all that in your mind, if you know what I'm saying? Man, I went on BBC Hard Talk. You ever seen that show? <laughs> Is that where they grill the hell out of you? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So my first book, right? And I'm doing this big UK campaign. They say, well, BBC Hard Talk wants to have you on. I'm like, I know that show. They want to have me on? <laughs> yeah, it's not going to be the guy. It's going to be the girl. So I, the woman. So I get into the green room and I'm like, I can hold myself intellectually you know they want to ask about addiction and whatever and the host the woman serious journalist you know i'm in the green room she goes this is gonna be fine you're gonna be it's gonna be lovely and what a lovely book you wrote and blah 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 and i'm great and then we get out on the camera the, the red light goes on she's like turn around bitch i've got a use for you so how do you what do you tell your daughters now about that lyric and you know what i said then and it's what i'm going to say now guns and roses had a sense of humor and if you were with us then, and if you knew when that song was written, nobody knew who we were. So it was like, that song's about like, everything's going our way, you know? And 84, 85, 86, 87, 83 was a completely different time than now. It was debaucherous. I compare it to um, what I've read about 1920s Berlin, hmm. where women were just as free about getting their needs fulfilled sexually as men were. There wasn't a uh, creepy culture of men like leering on unsuspecting girls in the circle that I was in. Sure. And we were pretty protective of girls that were around us, for sure. And I have three older sisters and, you know, so you have to put things in context. I have grown through raising two girls and a wife. And I, like I said, I have three sisters and... I mean, there was a loaded song called Follow Me to Hell, which was about a guy who had killed a 15-year-old girl and what I would do to him yeah. if, if I was in the same room with him. And I feel that last September is a gentler version of what I would do to a guy like that Sure, if I was in the same room. But instead, I said, his mama didn't raise a man. Right. I like that. I mean, the turnaround bitch part, like that is conceptual. I should say the see me hit you, you fall down is probably where the most like problematic bit, I guess, if you had to. But, but that could be a guy, I guess. That's a guy. Okay. Yeah. That, in that story, that's a guy. Yeah. Like you win every fight, you know, you make the fire, but you miss the firefight. Like, you know, you, you burned it. But if you knew the band at the time, nobody knew who we were. Nothing was kind of going our way. So it was kind of a piss take on ourselves. Right. Yeah. Right, right, right. Much later when the band blew up, like, these guys, man, everything goes their way, and uh, they win every fight, and the chicks are... But uh, in context, when it was written, it was kind of hilarious. I mean, it isn't... When I talked to Slash last year, I mean, he said one thing that there was very little discussion about was leaving off One in a Million from the most recent box set. Like, everyone agreed, let's write that out. Right. So to a certain extent, there is, I guess, a rethinking of some stuff from the old days. My take on that is only very few. There's journalists I've talked to who got it even then. It was a third person take It's a character, on, yeah. Yeah, it was a third person take on, on ignorance in America. You know? And we got kicked off an AIDS benefit 
that David Geffen was having in New York after that song came up, we got ostracized. We heard like some Northern Idaho white supremacist group was using that as their anthem. Like, okay, Yikes. that went the wrong direction. One thing about it actually is that it was extremely intelligent guy and he does his research and you know i guess you know now they're talking about the woke axle right <laughs> i've heard this term since i've been out of here right woke axle because he's like doing these cutting and he's extremely intelligent and thinks about what he's going to do and he's always been that way you know he was light years ahead of me you know, i went to all this school and read all these books and, and now i feel like you know i can have conversations with him back in the day he was just i think light years ahead Huh. Um, but um, that song, yeah, when we did the box set, just like, okay, well, nobody really got that song, so let's just move on, mm. I guess. We don't want somebody, another white nationalist group, picking that as their anthem <laughs> right now. I think the reason people talk about Woke Axel is... There is a presumption that maybe DNR was somehow like more appealing to the right wing or that there was something that there was a little bit of that floating around. And then it, it's pretty clear from all of you guys that that's, <laughs> I think everyone's pretty clear that's not the case and never really was. I mean, we're not any wing. We're just like, we're a rock band and the best rock bands are just truth tellers. Rebels, by definition, rock and roll, that's was the thing punk rock was against the man <laughs> the man is really like lobbyist the people you and i can fight right now over something squabble over something but the lobbyists and the big machine is already 10 steps ahead of us yeah and we're having this stupid argument about i don't know the divide or the the red the, them dems or the libs or the bubble or those elites or something none of it really matters you know it's still the man has got like kind of this all-seeing control over us and they're trying to get the ox right now it's getting the oxys into everybody's you know medicine cabinet and oil rights and same shit it's always been you know so uh i mean that's my take on it it's just kind of a guy who reads a lot of books and educated himself on history and, and the world and and educated himself on like the punk rock bands i was in and what we were trying to say in the, that band the farts i was in and we had a singer blaine farts who was really ahead of his time like writing these lyrics happy apathy and, and it was about the things that are still going on that was 1980 you yeah. know so um song like um, Paradise City you know Captain America's got a broken heart yeah that, you know and that flew right by people flew right by people you know Civil War you know there's been songs in there that have said some things if you listen to the lyrics I know by the shows we've been playing there's not a right or a left or a, any of that crap it's just come people coming to rock and they're bringing like you know our original fans i guess who are probably our age they're bringing their kids yeah there's people that are stones fans they're coming you know it's like you see some people like what they're like, like 70 you know come to our shows right they're bringing their kids and their kids kids then you see a lot of young young rockers come to the show it's really self-assuring like i love seeing young rockers come to the show and I've met some really interesting people that are fans of, of us and really, really interesting that's made me realize that when you think you're the most interesting person in the room, <laughs> you're going to be wrong about 100% of the time. I wanted to tell you about The Jump, a new MailChimp original podcast hosted by Shirley Manson. She sits down with seven of the most influential musicians of the last two decades. Nico Case, Esperanza Spaulding, Big Boy, Dave One from Chromio, Courtney Love, Karen O of the Yeah Yeah Yeahs, and Perfume Genius. 
In each episode, they discuss a song that represents the guest's artistic moment of truth and the impact that song had on their careers and their lives. New episodes start June 24th. The Jump is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thinking about your history with anything vaguely country, it reminded me of that. This is really obscure, but in the second Velvet Revolver album, there's a hidden track that's Don't like, drop that down. Yeah, yeah. I once asked Wallen about it, and he talked about the, you know, Sweetheart of the Rodeo and stuff. I said, yeah. oh, you guys all love that stuff. Right. So there, there is... I did play stand-up. I played the stand-up bass on that song. Guns did used to love her, which is like a funny... Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. Um, uh, and that's, that's kind of like a, a Stones-ish country song. Right. Um, we can all identify with that. It could be a, it could be sung by a woman. I used to love him, but I had to kill him. I mean, it's not like a sexist song at all. It's a funny track. So, I mean, any rock and roller's probably delved around. Me, I played a Porter Wagner song in front of Steve Jones Whoa. and some other guys. Steve's a good friend of mine. How many times have you heard someone say, if I had his money? You that song, you know? Yeah, yeah. And Jonesy, really, that was the impetus of... When I was going to write a book and I, and I played this song for him, he goes, mate, you should do, like, you should sing in more in that voice and do, you know, yeah. that kind of a lower key thing. And he really, he's like my spirit animal. He's Steve Jones. He's my hero. I learned to play guitar by listening to him in Thunders, you know? Yeah. When I played in a band with him in the mid-90s, Neurotic Outsiders, I played guitar. Yeah, yeah. So I'm playing Steve Jones licks. Like, how do I hide this? You can't. Like, it's like, uh, okay, sorry, Steve. I learned guitar from you. I mean, I did want to ask about Wyland because one of the things I learned from your book is how far you reached out to help him, how much time you spent yeah. with him trying to center him with martial arts and mm -hmm. all sorts of stuff. And so that's what I knew from your book. I also know from the little bit of time I spent when Velvet Revolver was a band, I also saw that he, you know, he made you guys wait like an, an hour to leave someplace because he was watching a movie. He didn't show up on time for like the Leno rehearsal. And that was just in the like couple days I was with you. So he was a good friend to you. He was also very difficult. And now he's tragically gone. And I'm just, you know, without being invasive, just how you've processed all that because it's complicated stuff. Well, it's complicated. It is very complicated. And the song Feel on this record, I mean, I can just bring it to that. Yeah. Because that was a culmination of Scott, Chris Cornell, Prince. Uh, we were in Mexico City when Prince died. Axel texted me and said, turn on the news. They knew how much Prince meant to me. And then Chester, who he and his wife, Talinda, and the kids are family friends chris susan silver and my susan were pregnant at the same time we were in seattle wow. and we have daughters that are two weeks apart and we spent a lot of baby years with chris and he and i would go water skiing and like all this stuff like fun stuff and uh, i do you know suffer from drug addiction and, and alcoholism and i've had recent you know, in the last five years and i wrote about it a bit in the seattle weekly uh bouts of depression out of nowhere out of nowhere it's a mind's a chemical it's a nothing we i went to a psychologist who sent me to a psychiatrist because i got had to be medicated i couldn't drive i couldn't mm. put on my shoes and i think maybe i i choose to look at it this way i got this these depression attacks i call them so that i they were teachable moments that i could understand that and if it's depression all bets are off because you can't think. I couldn't breathe like myself. I couldn't breathe. I couldn't drive. Couldn't put on my shoes. Couldn't live like that. Mm. You can't live like that. I sought and found help. And again, my wife was there for me and, and my sensei. And, but um, 
feel the song on there is a culmination of of all of those guys i can only put it into a, a song that just promises them that they're still here with me your star never fades you saying yeah 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 but it's difficult you know when scott went back to drugs and alcohol and when mary and the kids left i knew the end was near yeah it wasn't something that was unexpected yeah it still hurt of course and we'd been through so much and he was so sober for a couple of years and i thought okay he's lost that romance for drugs and he really wants to be but alas you know it wasn't for him i mean it, it only underscores you know there's a little bit of a miracle on several levels like that you and slash are alive and well and getting on stage with axel every night i mean there's a lot of reasons <laughs> that that uh, could have not happened particularly that the both of you came very close to dying at various yeah. points I mean, Slash did a few times, you know, and, and I came very, very close. I mean, I don't take it for granted. Even today, I woke up at 6.30 with a sore throat for no reason. That's like 3.30 Pacific Coast time, which I just came from. But I'm still awake. You know, I'm not pissing and moaning about a sore throat. I'm like, I'm up. I've got a record coming. I mean, none of it gets past me. I've got a woman that loves me in bed next to me. I better be quiet. I don't want to wake up and piss her off because I know better than that. But, you know, us getting up and playing, yeah. I've seen Slash. He and I went to the edge, and uh, I don't think we cared at one point whether we woke up or not the yeah. next day. Yeah. And that's um that's pretty dark. But he is, I love seeing him just be lost in his guitar and be sober and all of that. And I'm sure, I mean, there's friends of ours who are just not here, you yeah. know. And, yeah. uh, and seeing Jerry and, and Sean of Alice, you know, there's some people that we, it's a celebration, man. And we're fully aware that we shouldn't be here, that we're in extra innings. Yeah, you know, it's quite incredible. And I talked about it with Slash as well. I mean, I have to say one thing, and it, this is probably, you know, listening to this record, I had to say, I was like, you know who would really like this record is uh, Izzy. I have to say. And unfortunately, like, he wasn't part of this reunion. Yeah. It didn't work out. I mean, no. what's your take on all that? It is un undeniably unfortunate. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and it wasn't from us not trying, for sure, you know? I don't know if I have a take beyond that. I know what we tried to do and how hard we worked at that. Touring and a big rock band is not for everybody. That's my take on that. It's a thing, you know? Like, this is a, a thing. He said it came down to money, which is interesting yeah i don't even know at the end of the day i could just could figure it out i mean because he'd been known to agree to things and then not do them anyway knowing your whole story the number of times he comes in and out of that i mean people don't know how he was almost part of Velvet revolver as well yeah. like there's <laughs> there's a lot of been a lot of coming and going yeah there's him. a lot of coming and going like um so this was one of the, one more chapter of that coming and going i don't want to say anything that's untoward because I, I love that guy you know and slash and i are sober guys and we went at it with a solution based you know like let's make this work you know but it just didn't and uh who knows maybe some other time yeah yeah i mean you know what stranger things have happened like for example Axel and slash are talking to each other again i mean no one including them thought that would happen at, right. at certain points right Although you might have, because you, no. were, always, <laughs> you well, were always the peacekeeper. So maybe you were the only person who could see it. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if I was the peacekeeper. I, I mean, I didn't imagine us ever getting back together. Never in my, you know, like I wasn't planning on that. Like, well, then, then that's going to be our next period in life. It was not a thought, but some things happened, you know. One thing happened in, in particular that was uh, fucking amazing, that I, I was going to London on business, on the, for financial business, not rock and roll whatsoever. 
And I go to this hotel that I stay at all the time. And the manager knows me. But he was paying special attention to me when I checked in. And he goes, I'll take you up to the room. I was with my wife. I'm like, oh, really? You're going to take me up to the room? I'm like, I got the key. I don't even take me up to the room. And he's like, so you're here for the show, right? I'm like, no, you booked the meeting room for me here. You know I have a meeting tomorrow at 8 a.m. Like, you, like this is official stuff. He's like, what the show, though? You're here. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. What, no, I don't know what show. And his face kind of got white. And he goes, I put you in the room next to Axel's. Is that going to be a problem? <laughs> and um, this is 2010 or something. Yeah. And, and I thought to myself, well, this is supposed to happen. You know, of all the hotels, of all the cities in the world, and all the floors, and all the everything, like that were in rooms next to each other, it's time for me to go knock on his door. And you guys ended up kind of spending the day together. You came yeah. out to the show. I went I think to the you, show you with played, him. I think he brought you up on stage that night, if I remember Yeah, we, we yeah. took a boat to the yeah. show up the Thames. And it was really, it was amazing. We just had a, you know, the old humor was back. And it, we, we just kind of picked right up and had a, a really wonderful time. We went and had dinner, I think the next night or two nights later, had sushi. And it was just very, very nice. So that was the beginning of he and I reconnecting. Again, I think you said in your book the whole time you were kind of texting Slash and be like, you won't believe what the hell is happening right now. <laughs> yeah, no, later on, okay, that, okay. not not then. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I was I was actually very busy that trip. Right, right. I was like scrambling because I had this. We you had were, your business meeting. Yeah, I had a bunch of them, so yeah. uh, I was kind of scrambling. But uh, later on, when I when um, Tommy had to go play with the replacements, and I got a call like they're in a pinch, man. They're going to South America, and, and I so I talked to Axe, and I went and rehearsed with the band he had at the time, and like I just got to make sure it swings. It's got a you know thing, and and then that's when I texted Slash, and I said, man, I'm I'm going to go do this thing. I want your blessing, though. Yeah, you know, I want because we've been through all kinds of stuff together. I try to be square with everybody these days and i've tried to do that for some time now and sobriety's done a lot for that and martial arts done a lot for that so um i tried my best i'm not saying i'm perfect at it but i do try and one of the things i asked slash and I'll, I'll ask you as well but i do have a good sense of it, is like are you guys in the band or kind of being hired to be part of axel's thing and slash said no we're in the band we're in the band yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Because people didn't know, because you guys didn't do any press, so everyone's like, I don't know what's going on here. It, it, watching it, it sure felt like it's a band again. You yeah, know? yeah, it's hell, a band. Hell yeah. It's a band. I know you're not allowed to, to really, you don't want to say much, but there really might be new music, it sounds like. That'd be wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. It would be wonderful. <laughs> That's but my answer. That, but beyond that, it does feel like an ongoing thing. It's not a finite thing, this reunion. N no, I don't, I don't have that feeling at all. It's a finite thing. It, because we've done no press yet, nobody knows. And I, I kind of dig it, <laughs> to be honest with you. I'm not trying to keep you in the dark. Yeah, yeah. I don't dig like the feeling of keep you in the dark, but it, it's kind of nice. It's a thing where nobody needs to know our business. I think that's, we got into trouble a long time ago. Where people knew our, all of our business. Well, you guys used to fight through the press <laughs> sometimes. Not you, know, you so much, but yeah. the, that was a thing back in the day. You know. Yeah. So we talk about things to each other now, and um, something maybe we never did before. You know. <laughs> all right, Duff McKagan, thanks so much for being here. All right, cheers. Thanks for having me. So this has been today's Wrong Stone Music. Now we'll be back next week here in Sirius XM's Volume Channel 106. In the meantime, we are a podcast. Subscribe to us as a podcast. Download us as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And as always, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.
Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.